these things. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful, oh God, that there is no temptation or no problem or no situation that is strange unto man. That, Lord, that you have made a way. And just like the song we just sung, we don't know how, but, Lord, you did it. We don't know how. You brought us through it, but you did it. We don't know how you fixed it in such a way that we could have peace about it, but you did it. We don't know how you brought us through some of the roughest times of life, but all we can say, oh God, this too shall pass, and we know that you did it, and Lord, we praise your holy name. And we pray, Father, you'll continue to strengthen each and every one of us. That, Lord, we can stand as a testimony to the living God. And that, Lord, we can believe you for healing. We can believe you, O God, for a touch on our body. We can believe you to guide us through troubled waters. We can believe you and trust you, O God, that, Lord, you're going to be right there with us every step of the way. For you are the God who have already proclaimed to us that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. And that, Lord, as long as we acknowledge you, you will direct our paths. And, Lord, we believe it. And we trust you. And, Lord, today, as we prepare to look at the communion, and to receive the communion. May you even now work in our hearts. That we be found of people who are worthy to come to this table. That we be found worthy, O oh God, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that, Lord, what we do will not be a mockery of what you have already done. But Lord, we give you thanks for the mighty work that you have done. May we have further and deeper understanding of it. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Communion is something that many churches do every first Sunday. Some churches do it every time they meet. Some groups do it every time they meet. There is no set number of times that you can do this in a day or in a, in a week or in a month given to us in the scripture. But what he does say, when you do it, do it in what? Remembrance of me. So what God wants us to do is remember or contemplate or take time to think, what are we doing? What are we doing? When we come to this table and we partake of this table, are we just doing it out of duty? Are we doing it just because it's one of those religious things that we do? 
Are we doing it just because it's a traditional thing that we do? And it doesn't matter about our heart. It doesn't matter if we know him or don't know him. It's just what is done. So I participate in it because everybody else is doing it. Though I have no sense or real depth of meaning about it, I just do it. I do it out of habit because if I don't do it, people might think ill of me. I do it because I don't want anybody else to think maybe I'm in sin or I'm not a Christian or I'm not this or I'm not that or I'm not worthy of it. So I do it where people will not be suspicious about me. In 1 Corinthians, first we're going to look at a verse in chapter 10. Now I want to pick up in verse 20. Don't have a lot of time to read it all. He says, No, but the sacrifice of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 20. No, but the sacrifice of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of what? You can't be a person of the world and a person of the Lord. You can't eat at Satan's table all during the week. And then on Sunday, you want to come in and eat at God's table. You have to make a decision. You have to choose. At whose table are you going to feast at? And he says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. You have to make that decision. See, there comes a point that you have to say to yourself, I'm totally surrendered to God. You have to come to a point in which you are saying to yourself, I totally belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. For he has purchased me with a price. And I'm his. I'm not, I don't belong to me. So I just can't do what I want to do. I don't belong to the world. So I can't do what the world wants me to do. I belong to him. And I have to follow him. No matter who it may ruffle the feathers of. I'm committed to him. And you and I have to make that choice because we can't drink at both places. Second thing, when we get over into chapter 11 in verse 17, what you hear what Paul says? He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do not harm, your meetings do more harm than what? Than good. 
that when we partake of this table, for those who are here that may not be believers, they ought to be able to see an authentic believer and the seriousness in which we take of this table. That we do not do harm to it because other people know our lives. Other people know our walks. Other people hear our mouths. Other people. And when they see us going up there in a wrong attitude, wrong mind, and knowing how we have lived during the week, we do harm here. We do damage to this table. We hurt it. The cause of Christ. And he goes on and he says, in the first place I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent I believe it. Christ died that we might be of one mind. We might be of one heart. That there would be a unity. And that unity is not like a, a cookie factory. We all have to be the same. That's not what he's talking about. But when we rally around the cause of Christ and the work of Christ, there ought to be one mind, one heart, one willingness to show in a sense that we are an army for the Lord. And that we can tackle anything as long as we are together. It's not about our size. God never looks at size. He looks at heart. He looks at faithfulness. He looks at obedience. And whenever God assigns something to be done, God will always provide for it. I'll never get one of our past presidents and we're sitting in a board meeting at Nyack, New York and he said God always provides for his work. And he said you can believe this if it's God's vision then God provides the funds for the vision. God does it. God does it. Because it's of him. And the people who have the mind of Christ, you don't have to argue about things because there becomes a unity about it. And that we all take on a scriptural position rather than a worldly position. See, the first thing in the church is always, I can't. I can't, I can't. And when we hear the I can't in church, it's because we're looking at our bank account, we're looking at the number of people, we're looking at our willingness to do, we're looking at everything else. But the thing we're not looking at is this. God says nothing's too hard for him. God says if you believe it, you have received it. God says there's nothing impossible with him. Oh, yes, by all rights and all things about this church, this church should not be open today. This church should not even be here. But only by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God are we yet 
standing. Still moving, not as fast as maybe as we like to, but we're moving. And he says, boy, in the first place, I hear when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Now, catch the next verse, because it's strange here. No doubt there have to be differences among you. Now, this is why. To show which of you have God's approval. To show, in a sense, which ones are on God's side. And which ones are what? Are not. Which ones are truly believers. And which ones what? Are not. Because what? The wheat and the tear do what? It grows up together. But somehow, God distinguishes those that are His. And those that are His hear His word. And guess what? They fully follow it. And He says... Yeah, there's going to be some. But those who really believe, there's no disunity. And he goes on down and he says, yeah, it shows God's approval. Then he goes on, he says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you go ahead without waiting for anybody else. One is remains hungry and another gets drunk. There's no order in this thing. There's no order in it. And what you want to be able to do is discover the order in the communion. If there's ever going to be order in the church, there ought to be order when it comes to this. For it's not made as a mockery. We're just not grabbing crackers and, ooh, this is good. We're not just taking. Boy, just think if we had real wine here, how many cups some folks might take. That we don't make a mockery of this, but that we're doing this, reflecting upon him and what he has done on our behalf. I'm not saved because of Gus Brown. I'm saved because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not saved over some marvelous work Gus Brown has done. I'm saved over the work that Jesus Christ has done on my behalf. And I begin to think about it. I begin to reflect about it. And it takes me into a deeper spiritual relationship with my God because God wants me to really understand how sinful I am, but yet how holy he can make me. That on one part of my life, I can weep and sense the sadness of it, but on the other side of it, I can rejoice and praise him for it for what he's done and how he's delivered me, how he's rescued me, how he's kept me, not because of anything I deserve, but because he loves me. And he demonstrated his love for me on the cross. And in this I am remembering his love, how much he loved me. 
He loved me so much that he died for me. And I'm remembering it. And he says, don't make this some big party thing. And he goes on and he says, don't you have homes to eat in? Don't you have things to do those things in? If you're going to do that, do that where? Do it at home. But don't do it where? Don't do it here in the church. Then he says in verse 23, For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. I want you to go to a verse with me, and I want to bring up a little thing of how the Holy Spirit sometimes drops things in, and, and, and we need to catch it sometime. Go over to Matthew 26 with me. Matthew 26. Because sometimes we're just reading, 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 and then we're not asking ourselves, why did he change it? Why, why is it meant this way? He's speaking to us. But then we've got to have scripture in our hearts and in our minds to reflect on the other scriptures. For he says in Matthew 26, uh, pick up with me in verse 17. He says, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? What was it? It was the Passover time. When the communion was instituted, it was Passover time. Now, pay attention very closely to this. That in this verse, he says, Boy, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, why didn't he use the night of Passover? Why isn't the word Passover there? But he uses the word on the night that he was betrayed rather than Passover. Don't come to this table Betraying what you believe. Any of us can be a betrayer to Jesus when it comes to this table. By the way we live and the sin that we allow to linger in our hearts and our minds. We can betray him and all that he has done on our behalf if we come to this table wrongly. So he purposely, the Holy Spirit purposely put the word betrayer there. Because it reminds us of what Judas... And remember, Judas was sitting there at the Passover. And then he told him to go do what he needed to do quickly. And he left out. It might be better for some of us sometime in the church to leave out if there's sin in our heart. And we haven't settled it with God. Don't come to the table as a betrayer. But come to the table, one who has been washed in the blood of Christ with a heart that is right and ready to receive and understanding what you received and what you have received. You come to this table. Understanding the purpose of it. 
understanding the purity of it, understanding the holiness of it, understanding God instituted this for you and I. Because we are a people who quickly forget if we don't remind ourselves. As you travel through the Old Testament, you will find places where God had them build altars, just put bricks up or just build something. And those altars was a reminder of how God did something at that particular place. This is a reminder to us of Calvary. Of what God did. In one sense, this is our altar that he's built for us. That when we come to it, it reminds us that he saved us. That he did it. I want you to come to one more point. That sometimes we don't take very seriously. And I think it's one of the ailments within the church. We read God's word, but oftentimes we don't believe God's word. We just believe it. We're reading it. It sounds good, but he's not serious about this. He won't really do that. He's a loving God. People, everything God has said, he has done or will do. The scripture makes it very clear. What God speaks to us is not a lie. Okay? So this next part is very important for each and every one of us. It's important for Pastor Brown, for Gus Brown, to take this section very seriously. And understand the indefiniteness of it. Because it brings an ailment into the church. It brings a sickness into the church. It brings a hurtiness into the church. He says, in verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. If you do it in an unworthy manner, you will be guilty and of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And therefore, in 28, he says, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drink of the cup. Well, anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord or eats and drinks judgment on himself. How serious is that? How serious? In 28, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. How serious is that? Is that a reality? 
Is that something that can really take place? And at that point, as a believer, if judgment is upon me, how can God use me effectively in his church? If I'm in a state of sin against God, how usefulness am I towards the work of God? This table reminds me, I don't have to carry sin in this body. It reminds me, I can have a wrong thought or a wrong attitude, but I can confess it just like that, and I'm forgiven, and I'm cleansed, and I'm washed. And he says, examine yourself. Go over to 2 Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians 13. He says in that verse 5, examine yourself. Praise God for that. What did God just say to the people around you? Don't be judging them. Don't be looking at them. Don't be looking at your neighbor or the person in front of you, the person in back of you. You need to look where? At yourself. In a relationship, it's not for me so much to look at Elaine as I need to look at me because the only thing she's doing is responding to me. And she don't need to really look at me. She needs to look at herself because all I'm doing is responding to her. So we need to first examine who? Yes. I got to look at me very closely. I got to examine me. And I got to ask myself some very honest questions. He says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Lord, do I really believe you? Lord, do I really believe that you died on that cross to save me? Do I really believe, Lord, that you came forth from that grave? Or is that just a myth? Is that just something that we've been taught down through the years, through the century? But, Lord, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. I was not one of those who had the privilege to see you after you came forth from your grave. Lord, is that really real? Examine your faith. Examine what you believe. Take a good look at what you believe. And may I put this in there? Your homemade beliefs, when they come up against Scripture, don't stand. You can say all day long, well, this is what I believe. If it's not scriptural, it don't mean a thing. He says, examine yourself. See if you're in the true faith. He goes on a little further, and he says, Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? You know, when I first accepted the Lord, it was at a Billy Graham crusade. And I remember the first night I went down. Now I went down the second night, and of all things, 
I run into the same person that I prayed with on the first night. And his question to me was, what are you doing back down here? And I said, I'm waiting for the Lord to come in. He said, didn't you pray? Yeah, I prayed, but I didn't feel nothing. You know, I mean, if you hit me with a pebble, I'm going to feel that. If the wind hits me hard enough on my face, I'm going to feel that. I was expecting to feel something come in me. And he said, Jesus came in. And I was still troubled with that for months later. And Cecil Emman, who was leading our home Bible study, I remember we just sat after a Bible study. And Cecil said, Gus, start believing. And if you want a testing, you say to God, God, I want to believe that you're in. But will you show me that you're in? So I gave God a hard test. Because at that time, boy, I had a, about a year or two-year-old, brand-new yellow canary tornado Oldsmobile. Them things were shot. And one of the first things the Lord got on me about as a young man, I like big cars and fancy cars. And I, and I said, okay, Lord, here's the test. I want to sell this car, but I only want to sell it to a white person. Because it was almost a known fact. A white person wasn't going to buy a car from who? <laughs> what y'all laughing about? <laughs> and one night, Elaine and I were at the light because we lived on Wooster Avenue was at the light of Hawkins and Wooster. And we saw a car backing out of our driveway at Toy Lane. Boy, we just maybe missed the sale. So we turned at the light. He was backing out. He went this way. We went, But he saw our lights turn up in there. And he turned around and came right back. And he got out of this car. And he, asked, he says, Sir... Because we were in my truck. And he said, sir, do you own the car here? Do you live here? And we went on. Yes, I do. He said, I'd like to buy it. What are you asking for? Now, catch this. He was a white man from Wadsworth. But not only that, he was a preacher. And I got rid of it. <laughs> I said, okay, Lord. You know. And you begin to just pray and ask God for things and see how God works. And sometimes when I'm witnessing the people, I'll tell them, go ahead and put the Lord to the test for three months or six months. And if he don't show himself as God, then forget him. But if he does. See, a lot of times in life, we don't put ourselves on Mars Hill. And we need to put ourselves on Mars Hill. The same as Elijah. We need to throw the water on the wood. We need to do everything. And watch God come down and consume it all. Because he'll do it. And he says, examine yourself. To see if you're in the truth. To see if you're following the truth. Seeing that you're not doing anything wrong. 
not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. I'm doing what is right. And sometimes in the world's eye, I'm doing the wrong thing when I'm doing what? The right thing. And it's all because of his righteousness and his teaching. And as we come to this table, and as you partake of it, would you take a special time in your own mind? See, I can't go into your mind. I can't read your thoughts. And you and the Lord talked. Remember that song? Just a little talk with Jesus will do what? Make it right. It's nice that other people hold you up in prayer. It's nice that other people can talk for you on and on your behalf. But there's nothing like you yourself talking to the Lord for yourself. Can we just take a moment and you just talk to the Lord yourself? If you need to say, Lord, forgive me, ask him to do that. If you need to say, Lord, I need a bath, would you cleanse me and allow him to do it? And if you're struggling in a situation and you're finding your attitude or you're finding yourself drifting away from the Lord, that you would even pray, Lord, put my feet on the right path that I do nothing, oh God, to harm the gospel or to cause your heart to ache because of me. Lord, would you meet your people in their time of prayer with you? Father, may we live in such a way that we are pleasing unto you 24-7. May we be reminded that we are the apple of your eye, that we are that little man in your eye, and that you are the God that never slumbers nor sleeps, but you are always watching over us. You're always giving us the right direction to go. And sometimes, Lord, we just have to wait upon you and to be still and to know that you are God that you desire to lead us. And Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. 
We thank you for forgiving us of our faults. We thank you for forgiving us of our sins. We thank you, Lord, that yes, the righteous man should fall seven times, but seven times he shall rise. That we have the ability to get up out of the mire clay. We have the ability to step out of our sins through Jesus Christ. Because sin no longer holds us captive. Sin no longer, Lord, are we in bondage to it. But we've been set free from it. And who Christ has set free is free indeed. Lord, thank you. And as we come to this table, Lord, wash us anew. That our hands are washed, our mouths are washed, our conscience is washed. That as we partake of these elements, that we are able to declare him who's going to come again. And Lord, thank you that we can come saying we believe all that Christ has done on our behalf. We believe it, Lord. We believe him against every demon that would want to come and teach against what he has said. We believe Jesus and him alone. Bless us as we partake. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Men, would you come?